welcome and uh, you've all sit you've, you're all sitting down sitting down and relax so today I want to tell you a very special story two two special stories they're folk tales from Malaysia and uh, today's storytelling session is going to be a bit different because uh, both stories come with its own soundtrack so we have some original music uh, written by my daughter uh, Leila um, maybe we can play can we start playing the soundtrack <laughs> so the first story is called the tale of hitam manis now uh, hitam in Malay means dark or black and manis of course means something that's sweet so hitam manis usually refers to bees because bees are dark right they've got uh, black fur uh, black they're they're black and they produce the most delicious sweet honey so um here comes the music <laughs> so uh the story is called hitam manis um, and uh, it's a special story because it contains a secret and the secret is how to harvest or how to get the honey from uh, these special hives. Now, um, the story starts with a song that Atto sings to lure the bees from their hive. Oh hitam manis Turun dengan lembah lembut Turun hitam manis Dengan cahaya bintang Come down dark sweetness Come down softly and gently Come down dark sweetness Come with the starlight this is the song that Ato sings to lure the rainforest bees from their hives way up in the Tualang tree. Now, the Tualang tree is the tallest tree in the rainforest, and the rainforest bees love to build their nest there because it is safe from predators just like you. But Ato and his family know the secret to harvesting the Tualang honey because of a story which has been passed down from one generation to the next. And this story is called The Tale of Hitamanis. Now, um, like most fairy tales, this story can be a bit frightening, can be a bit scary, but that's okay. I'm sure you can learn, you can discover something valuable about this story. So let's listen to the story of the tale of Hitamanis. A long time ago, in a land full of lush mountains and green hills, there lived a beautiful maiden called Hitamanis. Her skin was as dark and as sweet as the midnight hour and her smile as sweet as honey many wanted to marry her but she didn't want to settle down just yet because she loved her work and her work was to take care of the trees and the flowers 
and the plants in the palace garden. She was the palace gardener. One day, one of the royal servers at the palace fell ill. So the royal housekeeper asked Hitamanis to serve the sultan and his prince. And Hitamanis was happy to help, but she had never served the royal family before, so she was a bit scared. Now that night, the sultan was in a foul temper with his son. He thought that his son, the prince, wasn't taking his duties seriously. He, the young prince preferred to go hunting and to be with his friends. You must take your duty seriously. You're going to be sultan one day, said the sultan to the prince. Yes, father, said the prince. He wanted nothing more than to flee the room. But when he saw Hitamanis come in bearing a tray of food, all thoughts of his father slipped away. He couldn't breathe. He felt as if he was hit by a bolt of lightning. And uh, Hitamanis, as she served the young prince, noticed a smile on his face and forgetting herself, she smiled back. The smile, the look, was as brief as a kiss of a mother's on her sleeping child. But it changed everything. The two fell in love. Now that night, the prince could not sleep. He was, he was overcome by thoughts of Hitamanis. And the next day, he wasted no time to find out more about the girl. Unfortunately, the sultan noticed the looks and the exchanges between his son and the gardener, and he heard that his son had fallen in love with the gardener. So he put together a plan to get rid of Hitamanis. Now the next day, Hitamanis floated to the palace on a cloud. Such was her happiness. She danced around the trees and all her gardener friends were happy for her. But unknown to the girls, the royal guards had crept up and surrounded them. As Hitamanis leapt through the air, a steel dagger stabbed her heart and she fell. Now the guards didn't know what to do with the other girls, so they too were brutally murdered. A short while later, something peculiar happened. The bodies of the dead girls shimmered as a dark mist suddenly appeared and flew up into the sky. The guards, feeling scared, ran away, but not before they saw a swarm of bees fly into the forest. So the prince, of course, was upset that Hitamanis had disappeared, but the sultan asked his royal bomo to cast a forgetting spell on the prince, and soon he was back to his jovial ways. Many, many moons later, the prince was hunting in the forest when he came upon a magnificent tualang tree. Its silvery bark reached up high into the sky, and up, nestled up in the branches, were crescent-shaped moons filled with the most delicious rainforest honey. I wish to climb that tree and taste some of that honey, said the prince. 
the men protested, uh, but the prince insisted that he wanted to climb the tree and with carrying nothing but a pail tied to a rope and his silver dagger, the prince climbed up the tree and in no time at all reached the hives. He could see the thick oozing honey coming, flowing down from the hive as he cut pieces of the honeycomb and uh, put them in the pail. Now the men below were worried for the prince because he was so high up in the tree. But soon the prince signaled for the men to lower down the pail. As the pail was lowered, the men were shocked to find the prince. His body was chopped up into pieces and stuffed in the pail. Soon, a voice from the tree whispered, we are the Tualang honey. We are the Tualang bees. Heed our warning. Listen to us. No one shall cut down the hive of the Tualang honey, honeybees, because with a steel knife, with a with a metal instrument, because this is how we were murdered. Someone shouted from below, "What will we tell the Sultan? His son." is killed. When the bees heard this, they swarmed around the body of the prince, covering him with honey. The men tried to shoo the bee away, but they were stung mercilessly. When the bees finally flew away, they found the prince lying on the ground, and to their surprise, he was whole again. The prince opened his eyes, and the tree spoke to him again. My name is, I'm Hitamanis. I loved you with all my heart, but I was murdered for that love. The prince cried out, but he knew it was too late to get his one true love back. But he promised her that from that moment on, the people, his people, would never ever cut down the honeycomb using a metal instrument. And that is why till today, the honey hunters take note of this taboo and they will never ever use metal or steel dagger a knife to cut down the honeycomb and that is the secret they will only use a knife made out of buffalo bone usually so that is the end of my story of the tale of Hitamanis now, this story was told from one generation to the next um, from a family in Pera. They own a Tualang tree. It's quite unusual. They actually own this tree. And every time it's honey harvesting um, season, they will follow, they will tell this story and they will climb the tree. Usually, they climb the tree on a moonless night. Why moonless? Because it's completely dark. And when they climb the tree, they will have a torch, um, a fire torch. And uh, someone will hit the torch on the tree so that the starlight will, the fire will come down, the sparkles will come down, and the bees will follow the sparkles down to the ground. But because it's a moonless night, they can't find their way back to the hive. And that's why in the song that Atto sings at the beginning, come down with the starlight. It is 
he's asking the bees to follow the starlight. And that's the end of the story of the tale of Hitamanes. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed that. It wasn't too scary, was it? <laughs> it's quite sad, yeah. And there's lots of layers within that story. And you can do a lot with that story as well. Yeah, I love that story. Um, that story hasn't been written down anywhere. I can't find it anywhere. And uh, it's an oral, oral story. Um, so it's quite special. <laughs> yeah. I heard the story um, from uh, watching a, a documentary about this family in Perak that they own this Tualang tree. And uh, they didn't actually tell the story expressly. I saw them sitting around talking about Hitamanis. And I kind of pieced together the story and uh, adapted it. Um, so that is, that's how. The thing about folk tales and fairy tales right now is very, um, you get bits and pieces everywhere. Uh, we don't have a strong folk tale tradition where you know, everything is written down. We don't, we don't have someone like the Grimm's brothers <laughs> who collected all these folk tales from before and ha had it recorded. So uh, what I'm trying to do is um, kind of collect all these bits and pieces and trying to put them together so that the younger generation can have access to these stories so that they know about these stories. Uh, and I also recently heard that uh, one of the other taboos with uh, eating um, the tualang honey is that you can't use a metal spoon as well. Have you heard that one? Yes. Yeah, yeah. And I think that might be from the folktale as well. Like, nothing metal can touch this special honey. So, uh, yeah, I find it really fascinating. <laughs> so I hope you enjoyed that tale. Um, my next story is not as scary. It's a little bit more joyful, maybe. It, it contains a, a valuable message about transformation. And this is the story of the biggest basket in the world. Um, can we play the music for that one? <laughs> biggest basket in the world. So, <clears throat> so this, uh, the, the music is a little bit Ghibli-like, I think. <laughs> so uh, this is a wonderful story about a lazy girl. She is actually the laziest girl in the world. But, <laughs> are you lazy girl? <laughs> but she manages to transform herself when she starts, when she begins to weave the biggest basket in the world. Now this story is unique because it is about a magical talking object thing. Usually in fairy tales, there are magical talking animals, right? You hear about them, Sankanchil, you know, all those stories about talking animals. But we seldom hear about magical talking objects, especially in our part of the world. Uh, there, there are a few stories about magical objects in, in Europe, 
In fact, there's a grim story about a magical sausage. Have you heard that one? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really funny. I love that story. It's a grim story. Look it, look, look it up. But here in Southeast Asia, in Malaysia, we hardly hear about magical talking objects. Um, I was drawn to this story at first because of this talking object. But as I read it, uh, I began to see that this story was actually about transformation. It's about how a girl, the laziest girl in the world, goes on a journey and she transforms herself by weaving this basket. And uh, in the process, she manages to achieve her dreams. She achieves her goal in life, what she really, really wants. So that, I think that's quite a powerful message. And um, in the story, the girl's dream was to marry a prince, just like in most fairy tales. But I know that for most of you, that is not your goal in life. <laughs> but that's okay. The special thing about fairy tales is that we can take what we can what, what we can from the story itself. The stories are symbols. So we take what we can from the story and we apply it to our own lives. So you can apply the story to your own life. Um, and that's a special thing about fairy tales. All fairy tales contain a nugget of truth to them. Uh, and that's why we should sort of um, keep these stories alive by telling them. So I hope you'll enjoy this story. It's called The Biggest Basket in the World. Once there was a girl who was so lazy, she couldn't even be bothered to wash her face or brush her hair. Of course, she never helped out around the house preferring instead to daydream all day. <laughs> Why, you really are the laziest girl in the world, said her mother as she was cooking dinner. Why don't you help me? The girl just shrugged her shoulders and went outside. You really are the laziest girl in the world, said her father as he was fixing the roof. Why don't you help me fix the roof? The girl smiled at her father and wandered off to the river to watch the water flow over the rocks. The days, weeks, months, and years passed by, and the girl soon grew into a young woman, an adult, but she was still the laziest girl in the world. One day, the father decided he could no longer keep the girl because she was starting to become a burden to the family, and uh, she to he, told, he told her that she had to go off and make her way in the world, find her own way. Now, the mother was upset, of course, because she was quite fond of the girl, but she knew they could no longer keep the girl. So the next day, the father took the girl to the other side of the village where he had built her a small hut. He told her there's some food and drink in there. This is your new home. You're an adult now. You must go off and fend for yourself. The girl um, nodded. She could understand. She would have preferred to stay with her parents, of course, but she knew she couldn't be a burden on the parents anymore. So she said goodbye to her father. Her father, but before she left, her father gave her a knife. He said, take this knife 
you can use it to protect yourself from predators, from strangers. And so the girl took the knife, and since it was already late, she got under the blanket and went to sleep. Now the next day, the girl was awoken by a voice coming from inside the hut. Girl, girl, wake up. The sun is high up in the sky already, and there's much to do. The girl got up and looked around, but she couldn't see anybody there. Who's there? Are you a, a ghost? She asked. I most certainly am not a ghost, silly girl. Now get up. It's almost noontime, and there's much to do. The girl looked around, and she soon found out that the voice was coming from the big knife her father had given her. Big knife? Is that you? How is it possible that you can speak to me? She asked. Get up, girl. We've got lots of things to do today. Now, the first thing you must do is go down to the river and wash yourself. And since the girl had nothing better to do, she decided to do as she was told. So she went down to the river, she washed her face, she washed her body, and she discovered that, yeah, it was, it was quite nice to feel clean. Now you must wash your hair, uh, now you must brush your teeth and wash and brush your hair, said the big knife. So the girl, because she had nothing to do as well, so she decided to brush her teeth and she brushed her hair until it was shiny and soft. And she discovered that, yes, it was quite nice to have, you know, clean teeth and soft, shiny hair. Now, girl, you must clean your hut and wash your clothes. So the girl went in, went back to the hut. She, she cleaned the hut. She washed the windows. She swept. And then she washed all her clothes and put them out to dry. And she discovered that, yes, she quite liked living in a clean hut and wearing clean clothes. Very good, girl. Now you must use me to cut down the pandan leaves by the river. We are going to weave the biggest basket in the world. Weave a basket? She said, I don't know how to weave a basket. Of course you don't, you silly girl. You've been an idle, lazy child all your life. But don't worry, I will teach you how to weave a basket. So once again, since the girl didn't have anything better to do, she decided to follow the big knife's instructions. She took the big knife down to the river. She cut down long strands of pandan leaves. And even though the leaves um, cut her hands, she worked diligently to strip leaves. And then big knife showed the girl how to use fire to clean and whiten the leaves. And after that, Big Knife showed the girl how to weave the basket. Now, for some reason, the girl enjoyed weaving the basket, and she worked diligently on her basket. At first, she worked inside the hut, but soon the basket was too big for the hut, so she worked outside the hut. And soon, the basket was even bigger than the hut. What on earth are we going to do with this enormous basket, asked the girl. Well, said Big Knife, I'm going to use this basket to find you a good husband. Now, the girl thought about it and she decided, yes, I think I, I quite like that. So she gave permission to 
for Big Knife to find her husband. So the next day, Big Knife went to town and he went to see the Sultan and the prince who, coincidentally, was looking for a wife. So Big Knife said to the prince, I hear you're looking for a wife. And the prince said, yes, I am, but not just any wife. I'm looking for someone who is hardworking. Do you know anyone like that? And Big Knife said, I know the perfect person. Ask your servants to prepare a huge wedding banquet. Cook lots of food. I will go and fetch your wife. So Big Knife left and the prince ordered his servants to prepare a wedding banquet. And he thought to himself, I'm not sure about this. I'll, I'll, see, I'll, I'll see the girl first. And if she is indeed hardworking, then I will marry her. Very soon, the servants had prepared lots and lots of food, mountains of food. But they discovered that there was so much food, they couldn't fit it into any of the baskets in the palace. How will we get all the food to the wedding banquet? Just then, Big Knife appeared at the palace with an enormous basket, the biggest basket in the world. And Big Knife said, don't worry, I have... I have the biggest basket in the world to carry all this food. And when the prince saw the biggest basket in the world, he thought to himself, the person who has made this basket must be hardworking. I want to marry her. So he said to Big Knife, who is the person who made this basket? And Big Knife said, why, it's your bride, of course. And he presented the girl, who was no longer the laziest girl in the world, in fact, her dress was sparkling clean, her face and her hair shone brightly under the sun, and she was no longer the laziest girl in the world, for she had woven the biggest basket in the world. The end. So I love the story because from being the laziest girl in the world, she suddenly transformed herself just by weaving this basket and she did this with the help of a magical helper the the big knife um, so it's it's a strange story about transformation and uh, it's something that you know you can apply to your own lives um, so I hope you enjoyed that story uh, thank you for inviting me here, uh, Georgetown Literary Festival. And um, if you have any questions, I'd, uh, I'd love to answer them. Oh, okay. I found this story in a book published by Oxford University Press in 1952. Uh, and the book is called Tanga Tales, a collection of Malay folk tales. And I believe that uh, it was collected by probably um, uh, the English <laughs> colonials for their, for their books. Um, but uh, it features a, a grandmother who's sitting on the tanga telling stories to her children. So I had never heard this story before. And uh, it, it was, and the book contains other stories as well, which are equally as interesting. So um, to me, the big knife um, kind of symbolizes the girl's inner, inner uh, self-reliance, maybe, it, because he or she bullies the girl, almost bullies the girl into making herself better. 
So he tells her, clean up, you're a mess, you know? Wash your face, wash your environment. And then slowly, bit by bit, the girl... And then he teaches her a valuable skill, which is to weave the basket. And slowly, bit by bit, um, she transforms herself. So it, it represents sort of growing up, maybe. And uh, in that process, she manages to achieve uh, her goals, her dreams. So, yeah. Any other questions? So the oh sorry, so <laughs> so like the girl stopped being the laziest girl in the world after she left home, right? Yes. After she left her parents, yeah. would this be like an analogy of like independence or you know budaya merantau or something? Yeah. I, don't know. I think so. I think once she she decides that she can, she finds that she can no longer rely on her parents. Once you've left and you're you're grown up uh, and become more independent, you you have no other choice, right? You have to make your way, you have to find a way to like live, to survive. So um, I think that's, that's one of the, 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 the issues in the story. Yeah. Any questions? Did you like the story? <laughs> in, your, in your research on fairy tales, especially Malay fairy tales or Malaysian fairy tales, yeah. do they have, um, like I know the Tualang Kitamani story, mm -hmm is originated from this family in Perak. Yeah. But do you see kind of regional or, or stories that, do they belong to regions? Like this one is mostly told in, and how far reaching are they? Like is the Tualang Hitamane story, is it well known in Perak? Or, or this one, where does it, which region does it come from? Um, this one, I, I couldn't f exactly find where it came from. I think it's from West Malaysia. Um, but I, do, I did find similar stories, not just across Malaysia, but across Southeast Asia. So like the story, uh, Sangkanchil, for example, there's so many variations of the different Sangkanchil stories, not just in West Malaysia, but East Malaysia amongst the indigenous uh, groups there. In fact, there is a, a, an evil Sangkanchil from the Orang Ulu people called the Wicked Mouse Deer. And, um, you know, it's just so different, but he is Sangkanchil. Um, and this wicked mouse deer actually like goes on, he, he murders people, you know? <laughs> so it's, it's like amazing, okay? <laughs> For you know, you, you, you know your Sangkanchil, like this cheeky, nice uh, little yeah. mouse deer. You never hear about that one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so suddenly from the Orang Ulu people in Sarawak, there's this wicked mouse deer who goes around and he's very proud. And so... There are different variations across um, Southeast Asia. So that's why I feel that you can't really say that a particular tale belongs to a, a particular place, unless, of course, it's an origin yeah. tale. Uh, for example, there is a fairy tale about the origin of Mount Kinabalu by the Kadazan Dusun people. And um, because it's so obvious that it's about Mount Kinabalu, that that tale comes from there. And, and of course, uh, Langkawi as well. I mean, it's the island of folk tales, right? So um, a lot of the stories are very identifiable to that place, to that island. But other stories, you, you, it's amazing that you find variations of the similar, similar stories throughout different areas. 
So Bawang Putih Bawang Merah, there's a version from China. I think actually the original Bawang Putih Bawang Merah actually comes from China from the 8th century. And I believe that this story traveled from China and through trade routes because this is the Nusantara and we are maritime, uh, this is a maritime region, right? So it traveled and there's a version in Vietnam called Tam and Kam. There's a version in Malaysia, of course, Bawang Putih, Bawang Merah, and Indonesia as well. So it, the fascinating thing about folk tales is that it travels from one place to another. And once it sets up in one country, the storyteller will change it um, to suit the needs of that particular society. So. The ver there are variations, there are similarities and differences between the same um, story from one country to another. Yeah. <laughs> Anything else? Yeah? <laughs> <There's> <laughs> one. Yeah, uh, my question is regard to the big knife story. I just want to know, like, was the big knife story came from a story from a particular individual or some event that happened or it was just a, uh, a story that came up from a storyteller and just got lost? Basically like an origin of where it come from. Yeah. The thing is, uh, like I said before, we don't really have a tradition of um, recording our traditional folk tales, so we don't really know. Um, but I found that story in that book, the, the book Hunger Tales from the 1952 um, edition of the Oxford University Press. So I'm, I have yet to, I'm trying to do more research to find out where that story, where they heard that story from, but I haven't found, found it yet. So it's, it's a bit like uh, treasure hunting. So you have to kind of look in different places and sometimes you, you get clues that will lead you to other uh, stories. So if I do find find out, I'll, I will um, write about it and <laughs> let you know, yeah? yeah. Uh, okay, so my question, I, ju I just want to know, the, because this, what, what you're doing is also involves translation as well, I think. Oh, like, yes. So, yeah. like, these are the stories that originally in Bahasa, probably yeah. mostly a Bahasa Melayu, yeah, yeah. and some of yeah. them probably using classic Malay language as well. Yeah. So I just want to know, like, How's the process, the translations process like to you, like, you know, moving mm. from one language to English, especially? No. Okay. Uh, yeah, what, what, you know? Um, the, well, the, the, the big knife story mm. uh, was, the one I found was in English, so there was no translation issues. But um, for the other stories that I found, of course, it is usually in Basel. So I, I myself will translate it the best that I can. Uh, in fact, last year I uh, translated um, Hikayat Rajababi into a children's illustrated book, uh, the Malay tale of the Pig King. So that that was also in old Malay <laughs> language, and um, for me, uh, I had to kind of like for that process, I had to read the whole book, the original Hikayat Rajababi. Bubby, um, and kind of understand the gist of the story 
And there were, of course, there were words there that I couldn't understand because it was Bahasa Classic. So it involved going, getting the translations for those words and trying to make sense of it all. Um, I, I don't think I, I can do, I mean, I, because the, the book that I, I wrote was for children, so it was very abridged and I wanted to make it as interesting as possible for that age group. So I took the gist of the story and, uh, and kind of like adapted it that way. But to do a proper job, of course, you will need like um, proper translators to, to, to get the, 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 the definitions correct. Yeah. Um, for the other story, uh, Hitamanes, because I heard it, um, I kind of like formulated my own my uh, my own adaptation of that story. Yeah. This applies to the stories from East Malaysia as well, the indigenous people in Sabah and Sarawak, because they have their own language. So yeah, there are issues involved in translating those stories as well. So. I think that's something that we have to look into as well uh, to see how we can properly translate those stories. Because of course, you know, we don't want to translate the, those those stories in in a different way and to put our own kind of views, our own peninsular, <laughs> our own semenanjung views on 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 their stories. So I'm quite aware of that and uh, uh, that we have to be careful in translating those stories. Anything else? <clears throat> um, have you worked with any living oral storytellers uh, from any particular communities? Um, not, not yet. No, I haven't. I haven't contacted or I haven't worked with anyone, any uh, storytellers. Um, I would love to. Okay, I, I bring love you to. next time. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I was thinking like some of the Penglipolara or Awang Batil or even Mak Yong storytellers. Yes. And there's not many of them left, actually, yeah. the ones who are really rooted in the stories. Yes. But yeah. um, I bring you next time, a Pusaka trip. Oh, excellent. Yeah, because I'd love to see that kind of connection, you yeah, know, that you've, yeah. if you can sit down with a, with a traditional storyteller. Yeah. And actually, sometimes you just need to spend days with them, mm. listening to the way they tell their stories. And yeah. they're po very powerful. And But I think there's... there. Are, there's a lot you can imbibe from that as well, and then yeah. and then tell your own interpretation of it and still be authentic. Mm. Yeah. Okay, Definitely. wonderful. Thank you so much, Heidi. That was really, really wonderful. There's one more there. <laughs> I don't think they were supposed to be in Q and A. Oh, right. <laughs> never oh, mind. <laughs> we'll we'll uh, go with it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just have a question. Is there like a certain? Uh, okay. Is there like a criteria of like what kind of Malay folktales that you go for? What if there is a folktale that is only known by just one family? Mm. Would you be able, would you accept it as well? Would you uh, uh, have a time and listen to it as well? Yeah, I think uh, at this stage, because, uh, uh, <laughs> because we don't have that tradition of collecting the folktales, at this stage, I will accept most things. Uh, just so that they are recorded and people can go and maybe do their own research on particular stories. 
So um, yeah, I would I would listen to any kind of uh, oral stories within a uh, in a family, uh, going down one generation to the next. And this includes uh, either oral or written tales as well. Um, yeah, the criteria is quite wide. <laughs> so uh, I have a book coming out, uh, Nusantara, A Sea of Tales. Um, it's a collection of Nusantara folk tales. Um, I think I've got 61 folk tales in there. So that's coming out soon, hopefully, uh, published by Penguin Sea. So these stories are not just for children, they're for everyone. And uh, the interesting uh, aspect of this book is that at the end of each folktale, I have sort of like written a background of the story, what I found during the course of my research, which you don't really find in most uh, fairy tale collections. So it's, it's quite an interesting uh, thing if you're interested. So have a look out for that and uh, yeah, support me in my books <laughs> if you can. Any other question? Yeah. <laughs> right, could could you tell us a bit more about the music? Because I, I oh. yeah. Um, that's uh, written by my daughter actually. <laughs> she uh, she's um, about to start university, uh, and she has a special interest in in uh, composing music. Uh, so I I work with her quite a lot. Um, Actually, I probably should tell you, I've got a YouTube channel called uh, Nusantara Fairy Tales with Heidi, where you can hear all these folk tales. I talk about these, I tell the folk tales and I uh, talk about the folk tales in depth. Um, and uh, she does the music for that as well. So we've worked um, for, for these two stories. She knows these stories. So she asked me, like, what kind of vibe. Uh, I wanted to give out for the story. So the first one, the Hitamanis, I said, I want something quite chilling, quite scary, unnerving. So I don't know if you heard, there's like bees buzzing. It's very ambient sound. I don't think you heard heard it on the, on the stereo, uh, but uh, some uh, jungle kind of um, sounds as well, very ambient sound. So I think she captured it quite well. It's, it's very creepy, <laughs> that first one. And the second one, I said, oh, do the complete opposite. Just give me something joyful, uh, like a transformation, a journey. Uh, so uh, she's, she's very good at, at that. Um, I, I quite, I'm quite proud of her. <laughs> something I can't do. <laughs> yeah. um, so like I said, if you... Want to hear more stories? Just head to my YouTube channel, Heidi Shamsuddin. Uh, I've stopped for a bit now, taking a break. So I'll, I'm going to start filming season two before the end of the before the end of the year. But there are, I think, 35, 36 episodes already. So thank you for listening. Thank you for coming. Uh, I hope, I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, I've got a few of my children's books there, if you want to have a look. Um, I do historical fiction for kids. Um, and uh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you.